Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of Breaking Down the Doors. I am Vanderbilt beat writer Adam Sparks, along with former Vandy beat writer Mike Morgan. Derek Mason has been fired. The search for a new coach has begun, and we're going to talk about it. Okay, Mike, uh, my, the, the thing that I love on these podcasts the most is old stories. I just went through a coach got fired story on my beat with, with Derek getting fired. I've covered these before. You've covered more of them than I have. G- give me a story about covering uh, a coach firing. We'll do that before we get into the Vanderbilt stuff. Well, I covered Vanderbilt for 10 years and I had five coaches. So that tells you a little bit about some, <laughs> some of what I went through and uh, all were fired except for uh, Jerry DiNardo who uh, left abruptly. Uh, but that meant there had to be a coach hire. And that's one of my funny stories. I'll be quick. I've got two. I, I could have had 20 or 30, but uh, I've got two pretty funny uh, coach hiring or firing stories. Speaking of DiNardo, uh, Donardo followed Watson Brown, who had just failed miserably his last two or three years. I think they had won one game their, uh, each of their last two seasons, of his last two seasons. So there was great speculation that Watson might be fired, but there was also speculation he might hang on because he had put together a really good staff and they had changed the offense and they were trying to get that up and going. So there was, there was about a 50-50 camp that thought he might get another year uh, a fifth year, or he might, uh, it might be fired. Well, in fact, Paul Houlihan fired him without telling him he had brought Jerry DiNardo on campus the weekend before and let him look around. I think a lot of people think this is how it's done. This is not how it's done. I don't believe, but it was in this case, he had brought DiNardo on campus. Uh, Jerry had looked around and told Paul before he left, yes, I'll take the job while Watson Brown is still in, in his office. So he was, I think, basically that w- there was a handshake and uh, Paul f- hired DiNardo that Sunday. And then a couple of days later, uh, still failed to tell DiNardo he had been fired. And DiNardo found out by watching uh, Channel 5's Hope Hines one night, who Hope came on and said, uh, News Channel, he was so uh, popular for saying, uh, so well-known for saying, uh, News Channel 5 has learned that Watson Brown will be fired as the Vanderbilt head coach. And that's how Watson found out that he'd been fired. My other story was when uh, Dauhauer was fired after two just in ter- terrible years. And Woody Woodenhofer was the defensive coordinator. And as is often the case, uh, you know, the, the coordinator is always the more popular guy. He's like the backup quarterback. And Woody just moved into Dowhower's office. He just moved his stuff in and plopped himself down in Dowhower's office and declared himself the head coach, basically, and started telling recruits that, you know, let, let's uh, try to hang on to him. I'm going to be the head coach. Don't go anywhere. It's going to be a better situation than it was going to be for the one which you uh, committed to with uh, Dauhauer. So it left the athletics director at the time, Todd Turner, in a bind because he's out trying to find a coach and he's got Woody already declared himself coach. So those are my two that just came kind of off the top of my head. I've heard that. I had heard the first one before. Uh, I had not heard the second one before. I may have heard the first one from DiNardo. I love the idea of of – the potential of running into your replacement. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, Donardo was the, uh, he, he had been named by Athlon, the number one assistant coach in the country. He was on a national championship staff at Colorado. So he was well known, you know, it wasn't like 
Paul could be walking around with a guy that uh, Watson wasn't going to, or, or Watson staff wasn't going to recognize. But yeah, hey, that hey, it's, you. What, what, it's you. What are you doing here? Yeah, like, I was just in town, and uh, just Paul and I know each other from way back. So <laughs> mine is, uh, and we'll get. To, I know you've got some questions for me on the Vandy search and Derek Mason, but uh, mine is less funny and more maybe cringy. Um, when I covered, yeah, you know, I covered the MTSU beat for about ten years, and Andy McCollum was getting fired in two thousand five. I had actually got it from some sources, background of kind of when that was going to happen. And some of the assistant coaches sometimes would stop by on the road. We'd be in the same team hotel on the road. It used to be more more uh, normal than it is now. And the night before McCollum got fired, well, I guess it was two nights, it was the night before the game, two days before he got fired, I already had a pretty good idea when he was getting fired and one of the assistant coaches had stopped by to say hi and sat down, and we were talking. It's a group of us actually in the room, and I was writing the story of him getting fired. Oh, while he was while he was sitting there having a conversation with me. Oh, and I remember there was a mirror in the in the hotel room, oh. and I thought if he looked in that mirror and saw what was on my laptop while I'm talking to him face to face, he would see that I was, I was writing his obit essentially. <laughs> so it's, uh, after that, when uh, um, I tried to get some uh, comments from Andy McCollum and he, he was a little sour and that's fine. Coaches are, I mean, if I got fired, I would be, but he wouldn't talk to me. So finally I went to his office in the Murphy center at MTSU and sat down on the floor outside of his office door for I don't know how long and people would go in and out, you know, almost as if they were, you know, taking food to a prisoner or something. And oh. I'd make, eye oh, so he, was, he was in there. He was in there. Oh. <laughs> and his office was not very big. And he would kind of make like a split second eye contact with me as he was sitting inside and I was sitting on the floor outside of his office and somebody would open the door. <laughs> and so, oh, so finally he was like, tell, tell Sparks he can come in. <laughs> Little side note for our listeners here. This podcast wouldn't have been possible had there been podcasts back then because Adam and I were competitors at that time. Uh, That's right. I covered MTSU for the uh, Tennessean and Adam was covered MTSU for the Daily News Journal and the News Journal was not owned by Gannett at the time. Different times, different times. Yeah. All right, let's let's move forward uh, and let's just jump right into it. Why did uh, Derek Mason fire? Uh, why did uh, Vanderbilt fire Derek Mason uh, when it did? Well, I mean, there's a few things there. Uh, number one, the schedule. Uh, COVID obviously had pushed games pretty late, um, later than they normally would be. Candace Lee alluded to this in a presser, but you know, I mean, Mike, you and I recorded, you and I recorded <laughs> a podcast a week ago that was never published. So I was about to say I said this on a previous podcast, but listeners wouldn't know that because we didn't publish it because it was it was about Derek Mason job being on the line in the UT game. The UT game never happened. So we would have looked like Nostradamus if we we put it out there. But what I said on, on last week's podcast that never got published was um, clock was ticking because um, the UT game where it was, there were still games left over they were not going to let the season finish out if they were going to fire him because that was going to butt up against uh, signing day. The signing period is December 16th through 18th. You can have games that will go close to that or even past that. And then once the UT game got moved 
to one of those later December dates. Then if you kept Derek around for the UT game, which you would like to do because he's, he's, he's had their number pretty well, then you would get to signing day or even get after signing day and you would have to deal with telling recruits, you know, whether or not you were going to keep the coach. It was going to be really awkward. And so normally you would fire a coach when they did. It just seems a little odd because of uh, because of the schedule of going later. They simply couldn't wait that long. Otherwise, you would, you would need to keep him if you hadn't fired him by Christmas. And they need to start the hiring process. I don't, I don't think they'll have this done by the time the signing period gets here. Candace Lee in a press conference yesterday said it's possible – I think her quote was, I don't want to sacrifice quality for speed, you know, be rash and get the wrong candidate because you're trying to get it in before signing period. She's called this, the uh, the commitments already, and it seems like they're going to keep most of them. At least most of them are going to wait long enough. That's for now. We'll see when they start getting other offers. But I, I tend to think the hiring will be after the signing period. You've got games that are going going to go as late as December 19th. So some of these coaches that are already in positions um, are going to want to finish their season. And if you're going to finish your season, most schools are going to not be finished until after signing day. So that's why I think we're looking more like late September, more than mid-September. Well, what should we make of Vanderbilt firing Mason with three years left on his contract? I mean, well, what, what does that tell us? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, we've thought of lame duck coaches are, are the only ones to get fired, right? I mean, you know this better than I do. You, yeah. If I told you 10, 20 years ago, uh, hey, Mike, they're going to they're gonna pay a three-year buyout to a coach, that'd be crazy, right? Yeah, and it wouldn't have been nearly as much money as it would be now. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's got, he's got three years left. I think that's six to eight million is, is what I've heard. I, I, it's somewhat speculation, but it would make sense for three years. He was getting his, – his, uh, his base was a little over $3 million. So Derek's going to do fine if anybody was worried – that, you know, Derek's family would have a meal or anything, you know. And he's going to have a job as soon as he wants a job as well as a coordinator, if not a, another head coach job. Yeah, on another I think level. he could be – I think he could be a mid-major head coach. I think he could go to the NFL if he wanted. Maybe the best next move would be defensive coordinator to Power 5, sit out a year, see what's out there. So, we'll see. He, he won't have trouble getting a job if he wants a job. But, you know, I mean, I think the fact that they fired him with three years left in his contract, they fired Bryce Drew with three years left on his contract. It was an initial contract for six years. That's not Vanderbilt-like. Candace Lee has, uh, in her short time as the, the permanent AD, has talked somewhat in vague terms, usually, that this is she wants to, this to be a little bit different era, and she wants winning to be a priority more than it has been in the past. There are a lot of hoops you've got to get through to for that to be uh, legitimate. But one of those hoops that you jump through is you fire a coach when you think they're not going to be successful, and they made the judgment that they were just not going to win with Derek, and so you pay the money. Other schools do that. They pay buyouts, and you know you can we can him and haw and say that past decisions by past ads were not good decisions because they extended Derek a couple times, but. At the time, it, it, it's not like it was the craziest thing. He went to two bowl games. Uh, only James Franklin had been to multiple bowl games at Vandy in, in a century. So, you know, Derek was not a lost cause at that point. The fact that they fired him with, with multiple years left, it's, it says something about the leadership. I think it says something about Daniel Deermeyer too, because 
if the chancellor, you know, I think this was Candace's firing. I really do. I think, I think Candace made this decision, but if the chancellor said, absolutely not, I'm stepping in, we're keeping him. We're not paying that buyout. Then she couldn't do it. That's still her boss. I think he gave her the go ahead to that leaned on her and said, I'm going to, I'm going to allow you to make the best decision. Now, obviously the board of board of trust and dear Meyer have to know what that is, but I, I really do think they gave her some freedom in this. And in that she said, I think we've got to move on uh, if we're going to win. And so that's, that's, that's a good thing. It's not a great thing. It's, it's possibly a good thing for where people want this athletic department to go in prioritizing winning the, the next big hoop or five or six different hoops is, is the facilities plant. I don't think this necessarily indicates that they're going to be, you know, gung ho about putting money out for facilities. I mean, you've heard this for years. It, it, that's still, that's still a lot. I still feel like that's a pretty looming question facilities. You, uh, uh, but it's always said that the new guy is going to have to be promised something. Do you think that's not going to be the case? Depends on who that guy is. If you're a young coach and you think this is a job that you really, really want and, uh, you're you're not gonna you're not gonna you know have an ultimatum about I have to have facilities promised. If you're a somebody that's barely in Vanderbilt's reach or maybe even a little bit out of their perceived reach, um, you're gonna ask for that because I mean this is a job that I mean and I wrote about it in a couple stories earlier this week. There's some risk and reward here. The reward is the expectations are lower. That's not a knock on Vandy. That's historical. If you win eight games at Vandy in a season, if you're James Franklin, you win nine games in a season, you can go get the Penn State job. Uh, you know, I mean, so if you win, if you win nine games at uh, Auburn or Georgia or wherever, you're not necessarily going to get that type of job. I mean, if you, if you win nine games at Georgia, you're probably getting fired in three years, you know, so, so yeah. it's just it's just a different standard. If you come and you win at a at a pretty good level, but not great, it says a whole lot about what you can do. Um, I mean, had Derek gone six and six a few years in a row, he would have gotten a better job. I mean, it was a fine line between him getting fired and him getting an even better job. If you're going to bowls at Vanderbilt. You're probably a pretty good coach. He just did it twice when he probably needed to do it about four times to, to get a, uh, a bigger job. So that's, that's the reward. The risk is if you're a coach on the rise, especially if you're a young coach on the rise, you've got to make the right decision of which power five you go to. And there's going to be a little bit of hesitancy with Vanderbilt, because if you don't get those facilities, you think you're not going to get the support and your rise may stop at Vandy. And so some coaches will have those questions, but if you're young enough and, this is the best offer you're getting. You may not have that that kind of leverage. And as, as far as back to the facilities, if you come in and you are an experienced coach, perhaps even an, a, a, a head coach that are already a standing head coach, and you come in, you know that if you win and you have success, things like facilities and that kind of thing will come after that. So you will be in charge of – uh, that will be up to you as far as getting improvements. I mean, we saw James Franklin get an indoor facility built, which was badly, badly needed. So he didn't get his stadium, but he got that, which probably is as big a help. I mean, yeah, it's in recruiting and in developing players. Um, okay, you said that the uh, 
the call to Fire Mason was uh, Candace's is the call uh, who's up to who will be dependent on the call to hire the next coach. Is that Candace alone? Will she hire a committee? Is Deermeyer in, 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 in it as well? How's that going to work? I think this is going to be pretty, pretty closed ranks. Um, you know, I had seen a little bit of uh, criticism. Uh, well, I mean, is, uh, I'll put a name on it. Paul, Paul Kaharski, which you and I know PK, you know, reasonably well. You know him better than I do. But on Twitter, PK was saying that, uh, you know, search firms, why use a search firm? That's That should be the job of the AD. I, I think there is – it depends on who's using it. I understand what he's saying, but um, I think there's somewhat of a misunderstanding about how a lot of schools use search firms. Search firms at a base level vet people. They do the background checks. They do the logistics. They – you know, if if you need to schedule out the interviews and where to do them and how to do them discreetly, that's what they do. And they do it, you know, 365 days a year. A lot of times coaches like to themselves or their agents go directly to a search firm or go to a search firm rather than directly to the school. You know, you and I reporters, you know, coach so-and-so, have you had any contact with Vanderbilt? No, I have not. Now, if you ask me if I've talked to the search firm or my agent has talked to the search firm on my behalf, who then talked to Vanderbilt, that's a different question, but I wouldn't know that, you know, so there's some plausible deniability there. Um, but, you know, th there's also some liability issues of if you're doing background checks, sometimes it's better to bring in a third party to do that. It's just facilitated more. Now, here's the thing that people need to understand. Vanderbilt is not going to Vanderbilt is not asking the search firm to go get a list of candidates. There may be one or two that go through the search firm that they were not aware of would be available. That does happen. That happens at a lot of places. Um, you can have a coach that you thought was fine where they were. They would never want to leave. And they will prefer to go through a search firm to, you know, whisper gently in the ear of the school. Hey, actually, I would be interested if you came to me. That happens sometimes with search firms. Generally speaking, Vanderbilt and Candace Lee will have a list. She already has a list. And she will, uh, I mean, she was a football administrator for uh, for years. Um, she she could have had that list at any point if you, you know, gunned her head and you asked her and she had to give it up. Um, she has a list and she will go to the search firm and say, here's my list, vet these people. And and if you have any, bring them back to me. But the the candidate list come, is coming more from Vanderbilt and Candace Lee, not the other way around. The The, the, the search firm is vetting those people and maybe throwing in a few others. So I think sometimes people get the search firm idea backwards and it's used in college athletics in a very specific way. And it's also different depending on what school it is. But I mean, I've covered Vandy for seven, eight years and I'm pretty confident, especially in how Candace likes to do things. That's, that's how she's going to do it. And this was before search firms were even thought of, but uh, when Kevin Stallings was hired at Vanderbilt, uh, they, there had been an extensive coach uh, uh, search uh, for a new basketball coach there, and it came down to the uh, final four. They still hadn't hired a guy, <clears throat> anyone to replace Jan Van Bredikoff. And the way you mentioned it about, you know, search firms can find somebody that you – that. Uh, the uh, athletics director or the uh, chancellor, whoever hadn't thought of. And uh, that's kind of how that came about. Uh, Kevin Stallings ran into uh, uh, Joe Biddle at the final four and Stallings told him he'd like that job. 
and but said he hadn't been contacted by anybody. Uh, Kevin Stallings, I mean, Joe Biddle called me. I called Todd Turner, and Todd Turner then called Kevin Stallings. He became the Vanderbilt basketball coach. So, <laughs> you know, that, that uh, third party can help sometimes too. I, I've already uh, had I've already had third party agent attorney representation or whatever email me, not telling me who their coach is, but saying, hey, you know, can you can you give me a contact? Yeah. Of course, I, you know, yeah, we, we, I mean, we get those during coach searches because they, they see who's reporting the news. But I always want to say, I'll tell you if you tell me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's usually where it stops. <laughs> okay. Let's not beat around the bush anymore. Uh, we've talked about uh, who's going to do the hiring and all that. Uh, who are some of the candidates? Uh, let's look at some uh, that are being bantered around and, and, and where they are. Who, who's on your list? Who, who are the, the favorites right now? Well, uh, so I've reported a, a handful of a few, and this list is pretty fluid. It'll it'll change over time. But uh, Jamie Chadwell's first one. Uh, that in, in the, these are I believe these are in alphabetical order. I'm trying to remember, but 43 years old. He's undefeated at Coastal Carolina. Um, so he's an, he's one of those up and coming young coaches. Uh, I'm the thing about him though is he's been in the Carolinas for a while. I think this is his third job in the Carolinas. He was at – oh, he was at Charleston a few years ago. Actually, we have a photo of Mason and him talking, actually, when Charleston played uh, um, played Vandy a couple of years ago uh, at Vanderbilt. He's a guy that's been in the Carolinas for a while. You would think if he's going to take a job, if offered, he would take the South Carolina job. But I don't see his name as prominent in the South Carolina job. So that tells me, n- number one, why is he not the – maybe – close to the top candidate, but number two, if he's not, you know, there, is there something we're missing that maybe Vanderbilt should know about? So maybe he fits the criteria, but I, I would have some, a little bit of skepticism on here. You run through the list and or I'll, have they I'll, already settled on Hugh Freeze? Oh, I was going to say about South Carolina or they have, have they already settled on Hugh Freeze and they're just ready to move on? Well, I, I can't uh, say Hugh Freeze is not might, coming to Vandy. I, I could say that. No, no, that's what I'm saying. Hugh Freeze would go to uh, South Carolina. That's why Chadwell wouldn't be uh, uh, in the South Carolina mix. What about, okay, the second one is very uh, intriguing. Jeff Fisher, longtime Titans coach, still lives in uh, the area, lives in Franklin and, Basically, has said he didn't want to move, and uh, you know, what was, is he a viable candidate? Uh, I mean, my gut reaction says no because I've heard his his name thrown around a lot. It's usually, it's almost always coming though from media and people that know and respect Jeff Fisher and former players and all that. And I get that he wouldn't be the worst hire in the world. I mean, he's a phenomenal football mind and name recognition and all that. But he's also sixty two years old and. You know, it's not really got a long resume in college coaching. It would it it would be an odd hire. I I don't I don't see that one happening. Another familiar name, <laughs> very familiar, James Franklin. Yeah, I, you know, Candace Lee was in in a kind of an odd way or not odd way, curious way. She was uh, giving some of her um, on her wish list in the press conference yesterday, and a lot of them sounded like James Franklin. Uh, now, I don't think Franklin is going to become available because Penn State would have to pay him a buyout of more than $30 million. Um, Good. Yeah, so I don't think he's going to be let go, and I don't think I don't think he would come back to Vandy anyway. It's kind of one of those things I mentioned. If you can turn this job into a better job, you do it. He did it once. I don't think he would roll the dice again. Yeah, and 
I think Vanderbilt would take him back. I think Vanderbilt fans would embrace him, even though they were very bitter when he left. They nicknamed him Coach Poach because he uh, he took some players and some assistants with him and some commitments. Uh, but I, I think they would. Uh, they're desperate enough that they would uh, they would welcome him back. Next on the list is a guy that I know pretty well, uh, having covered him uh, here recently, and definitely an up and coming uh, coach, uh, but. Would he put his career on the at 35 years old for what could be a death knell at, at Vanderbilt, which has been that for so many head coaches? Will Healy? Yeah, I mean, Will Healy is. I mean, he he took Austin P from nothing to something. Um, they were 0 and 11, and then he ended up getting getting them to I think it was 8 4 FCS National Coach of the Year. That turned into a job at Charlotte. I mean, he's 35 years old. He's energetic. I think he checks some of the boxes in terms of charisma and marketing and promotions and energy and excitement that James Franklin has. I think there's, there's somewhat comparable. He's an offensive guy. Candace Lee said she is interested in knowing what, you know, um, if there's a good uh, and exciting offensive philosophy with the new coach, either as the head coach or somebody that they bring in as a, as a coordinator. So Will Healy checks a lot of the boxes. Um, He's going to get a look. I mean, he's one of those that, and, and I mean, I've talked to some people around Healy um, during this. I, I think there's a legitimate question of if he thinks this would be his job that he needs to make the big jump at. What I said before of you've got to be very strategic in which power five job you go for, because if it's not the one, then you take a couple of steps back and you've got to kind of, start start the cycle over and so he would have to consider that if he thinks he can come to Vanderbilt and go seven and five a few times he'll get an even better job or he could turn Vandy into something long term um because I, I know he does like this area but there's a little bit of a risk there because he is if if he can win at Charlotte over the next couple of years he's going to get some pretty good offers yeah and that's the thing that would work in Vanderbilt's favor he has not been uh uh, uh, an overwhelming success so far. So I think you're right. He will get offers later because he's going to be successful. But I, but I think right now he might be available. Okay, another uh, name with uh, local ties is uh, Charles Huff, who is now associate head coach at Alabama and uh, has ties with uh, – he was on Franklin's staff actually at Vanderbilt. Before that, he was at Tennessee State. I really like Charles Huff. I, I got to know him when he was at Tennessee State. Really energetic and uh, maybe most importantly for Vanderbilt fans, a great recruiter uh, and would have the would be from the Saban tree, which would help. What do you think about Charles Huff? Yeah, I mean, he's – you know, taking one of those paths that if you uh, if you get on Saban's staff, your your stock rises. He's a young guy. Um, he checked the box that he's he saw how, how James Franklin did. He was only at Vandy one year, a quality control guy, but he was with Franklin another I think four seasons at Penn State. So whatever you like about Franklin, he knows what that is because he saw it firsthand. Um, he's been in the SEC, not just at Vandy, but he was at Mississippi State as the run game coordinator. He's at Alabama now. I'm sure he's learned something from a couple years under Saban. He knows the area because he was at Tennessee State for three different seasons. Um, he's 37 years old. He checks a lot of the boxes. I, I, I think people should pay attention to him. I, I, I certainly am. It would, if you can get the associate head coach from Alabama that has – James Franklin ties, I think that's got to be on the list for Vandy. I, I, I would suspect they'll look at him. I like Huff, uh, but I also like this next guy, uh, uh, 
in, in, in Clark Lee, uh, who uh, has a fascinating story in that he plays, he's from here. Daddy actually was the uh, longtime National Sounds uh, uh, team doctor. Uh, and Clark played at NBA and made his way to Vanderbilt after playing baseball at Birmingham Southern and then Belmont. Uh, fascinating guy and has gone on to have a fantastic uh uh, football coaching career and is now the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. Do you think Clark has the shot? I mean, if if we were listing them who fits the best, I think Clark Lee's probably number one. Uh, Will Healy's probably up there too. But yeah, I mean, he's young. He's 38 years old. Um, he's got the got the pedigree and that he's been around a, a whole lot of different places. But he's defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. Uh, that's, a, that's a top five team right now. Former player, Nashville native, is friends with Tim Corbin. You know, I mean, if you had a list of 10 things, he checks about eight of those boxes um, right off the bat. He's a defensive coordinator. Now, Candace Lee didn't say she would rule out defensive coaches, but it did seem to be that she wanted somebody who had an offensive philosophy. So he would at least have to say, you know, what what he wants to do offensively and have, have somebody in mind who he would bring with him. Does he want the job? Now, he could get – I think he could get a lot of other jobs. Is his ties to Nashville and his extended family here, does – you know, is is that enough to pull him here? Or, you know, does he think that maybe he could he could do better elsewhere? Sometimes people don't want to come home because they want to do it elsewhere. I, I don't know Clark Lee. You, you've interviewed him. You've known him in the past. But, you know, he's a guy that they have to reach out to and, and engage his interest. Yeah, I, th- I think they definitely have to give him a look. I think they definitely have to let it be known that they're talking to him. Uh, if nothing else, it makes Vanderbilt look good that they've got a guy, a Vanderbilt guy who's at Notre Dame. I mean, you know, and, and you know, it, it, and, and to, you, you, like you said at the start, you've got to consider him. And just knowing Clark like I do, I think he'd come back. Uh, I, I think it is uh, it is a job that he would come back for. Uh, it could be detrimental for his career down the, the road if it doesn't work out here. But at the same time, he's already had, you know, he, he could always, he would be like Derek Mason and would always be able to go back and get another coordinator's position at a power five and maybe start over again. Let, now, let me, Mike, 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 let me pose this one back at you because you're going to know more about this next guy than, than I do. Mike McIntyre, 55 years old, Memphis defensive coordinator, played at Vandy, son of former Vandy coach George McIntyre. What's the personality of Mike McIntyre? Is he a guy that I, I would think he would want the Vandy job? But what, what kind of candidate would he be? Oh, I think he definitely would want the Vanderbilt job. He's uh, he's at Memphis now as a defensive coordinator, and uh, he's just waiting for another position, another head coaching position to come along. And what better position than a, the job that his dad had? And one of the few coaches experienced success at Vanderbilt. His dad did experience success, went to a bowl game, and Vanderbilt didn't go to another bowl game for almost 25 years after uh, uh, his father took him to a bowl game. Uh, He played at Vanderbilt, then he transferred to Georgia Tech after his daddy got fired. And everybody talks about Mike not having uh, success at Colorado, but, you know, he was the uh, AFCA Coach of the Year uh, one year at Colorado, and then things kind of went south on him. And and I understand that you could say, well, he was the AFCA Coach of the Year with somebody else's talent, and uh, he didn't recruit well enough. But he would definitely be interested. I think he would be a good fit. He's 
uh, a little more aggressive than his dad, but has very similar personality to his dad and a uh, very likable guy. And uh, again, would be a defensive coordinator. Uh, I mean, he's a defensive coordinator, would have the defensive background that might be a strike against him. But uh, uh, I think he's kind of like Clark Lee. I think you got to at least give him a chance and, and bring him in and talk to him engage not gauge his interest but at least let it be known that that you're talking to a guy that obviously should be a candidate all right so the last one we'll we'll wrap up here uh jeff munkin um and we can put two or three other guys uh coach at navy we could put in here uh as coaches that are triple option coaches kind of in the the old school paul johnson type that that succeeded at georgia tech there's a there's a reasonable thought to bring in a coach that runs the triple option because vandy you know, is as much, uh, I think they're probably more similar to a service academy or to a Georgia Tech as they are um, other SEC schools. They would be, you know, the one team in the SEC that people would have to prepare for. Um, selfishly, I don't want to cover a tri- triple option team because it's sometimes it's bland. It's fast games, but it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just not, I'm just not a fan of the offense, but it would give Vandy some advantage that they wouldn't uh, otherwise have. The, the drawback to Munkin or any triple option coach is that you are then saying to your freshman quarterback, we're going to move in a different direction. Now, I understand you don't, you don't change coaches thinking just of your current players, but with Ken Seals, you've got probably a, a quality quarterback for the next three, well, really in four years. If uh, if you if you take into consideration the COVID eligibility rules, um, if you've got a passing quarterback right now, you can have him long term. It's not like he's a junior or senior. You can have him for a long time. And quality SEC quarterbacks don't grow on trees at Vanderbilt. If you if you change to a triple option coach and triple option offense, you're, you're kind of tossing that to the side. Um, so the, the question I tell people they need to ask is. After Jay Cutler's freshman year, would you have brought in a triple option coach and told Jay Cutler to to beat it? N- no, you wouldn't have. Would you do that after Kyle Shermer's freshman year? I don't think so. So if you answer yes, I would have done it, then then you can make that change now. And maybe long term it's a better deal. I just think there's a little bit of of, of risk there with with any triple option guy, because you are going to have to turn a lot of things in a different uh, direction Uh, next week or the few weeks ahead. If this, if this list changes or narrows uh, we may jump on a few more. We didn't have time to go through the uh, longer list today, but you can kind of read that uh, the rest of that on Tennessean.com. That does it for this edition of Breaking Down the Doors. We hope you'll subscribe to Tennessean.com if you haven't already. And remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And drop us a review and a rating while you're at it. For Mike Oregon, I'm Adam Sparks. Thanks for listening.